0: I'd like to begin tonight with a very beautiful sutta. The Buddha says, Suppose a man or a woman threw into the sea a yoke with one hole in it, and the east wind carried it to the west, and the west wind carried it to the east, and the north wind carried it to the south, and the south wind carried it to the north. Suppose there were a blind turtle that came up once at the end of each century. What do you think, monks? Would that blind turtle put his neck into that yoke with one hole in it? He might, venerable Lord, sometime or other at the end of a long period, monks. The blind turtle would take less time to put his neck into that yoke with a single hole in it than a fool, once gone to a hellum, would take to regain the human state. I say, why is that? Because there is no practicing of the Dhamma there, no practicing of what is righteous or what is moral, no doing what is wholesome, no performing merit. There, mutual devouring prevails and the slaughter of the weak. That's from the Machinami Kaya, Sutra number 129. Bala Padita Sutta. Bala is full, and Padita is wise. So, this sutta speaks about foolish choices and wise choices. So we really have to consider carefully what we choose to do. That's where our courage, we have to be confident enough in the teaching and the meaning of the teaching and where it directs us and how we should embody it and rather than just listening to what tradition says, what what the majority says, what, what the legal people condone, what the government ordains. These, these can lead us astray. But if we have the Dhamma solidly in our hearts and our feet, planted on the path, really well established in our practice, then we can make very wise choices. And we don't have to, certainly, we obey like traffic laws, and we obey conventional laws to help keep peace and protect the public and protect each other, our safety, etc. But if the moral laws, are foremost. And so, is patience. Patience is considered the supreme incinerator of defilements. Isn't that lovely? It's an incinerator. You wanna recycle garbage, so you just throw the paper into a fire or scrap wood into your stove. So in the same way, The defilements that arise in the heart can be thrown into the flames, burn them, not literally but But through wisdom we can burn up, through patience we can burn up, through right effort we can burn up those defilements, through a moral loyalty, like a devotion to the moral path to develop our own virtue, we can burn up those defilements. Through loving kindness, we can burn up anger. Through compassion and patience, we can burn up our impatience and our indifference or our hardness of heart, our coldness, our cruelty. Oh, we're not cruel, are we? Yeah, sometimes we can be cruel to ourselves. In our efforts to cultivate the heart, it is forbearance that allows no ensures continuity. That's imaginable sorrow. So forbearance, patience. If we really want to continue, and this speaks to how patience and how Forbearance supports the bricks and mortar in our meditation practice. How easy it is for us to evaluate ourselves. Either we think we're doing better than we are, especially if we have a very bright mind and there's a bit of pride and we, we get a little glimpse of something To look at the mind so if we if we have a lot of pride and think that we know what we're doing we have to reel back if you're on a hill and you're trying to go in a, a high gear you, your car will struggle and strain and the same with your dumb vehicle we could break our spirit and dissipate our energy we can easily burn out if we do that and if we're overconfident, and um, we plow ahead thinking, this is a breeze, we might hit a wall, and then abandon the practice altogether. Can't seem to do it anymore, so we give up. So if you're trying to bring the mind to deeper and deeper places, you have to go gradually. Use reverence, try to be humble but also caring and loving towards yourself. That this is something that was taught by a human being, not by the God, not by some supernatural force. A human being, just like all of us are human beings in the human realm. And these instructions, this map of the mind, is meant for our capabilities. Some of us may have a, a lighter karmic bundle, and it will unfold more quickly. But there's definitely an unfolding. And one of the Buddha's strong emphases is it's a gradual training; It's a gradual path, and we need to respect that. However, it's a ladder. You're climbing a ladder. And just like a ladder has many runs, there are steps on the path. pass through every step with firmness and stability. So starting with the knowledge of the mental and the physical aspects of our experience. Because normally people go about life believing that there's the body and there's the brain that is the engine. the ear, for example, hears a sound. When the sound happens, like a train passing, that sound touches the ear door. There's contact. And once that contact happens, the result of that contact is hearing consciousness. It's a particular consciousness. And for each of the sense doors, there's a different way Describing a temptation, it's a beautiful sound. So these are experienced at the level of mind. Also, when the mind is aware of a phenomena, whether it's external or internal, that contact with the mentality then creates a consciousness of that object, the ability to see that object. Then mind holds can also affect later ways that the body receives impact. Is it, it it's exacerbated. The same with, for example, if we've been frightened as a child, then as we go through life, whenever we come to a fearful situation, we might get more triggered than if we hadn't been so frightened as a child. And this is a very important. sign of enlightenment is so important just knowing that there are these two fields in which we operate the mental sphere and the physical sphere and they are so intrinsically connected and that's important for our spiritual work because we wake up to that that nuance that difference the second is into causality, the cause-effect relationship of experience, and how our way of seeing and how our attention to our experiences affect that have the ability to pervert or distort and condition our experience, how our attention can cleanse or Detoxify the distorted ways that we might pick up experiences. Our appropriate attention, our right mindfulness, what right way of seeing what is happening in the mind. So when we begin to see, having an intention, having a volitional action in the mind, can lead to choosing a certain way of acting. have a thought, right wholesome thought, and then we lean over and help someone, or go out of our way to do a kindness. And this leads to good karma. Now we see the cause-effect of that. We can also see the cause-effect of unwholesome volition, and unwholesomely attending to the present. because effect relationship, we see how we begin. Like we, we notice the breath, the beginning of the breath, and the middle of the breath. We can also see when we're mindful, mindfully walking, we might be able to see the beginning of our movement and the middle of the movement, but we may not yet follow through to the ending. This is, however, still very important in terms of cause-effect, because we see how we can condition or decondition what we're doing. Like if we have a mental habit of thinking, obsessively thinking, and being unable to stop. And it just keeps rolling along with that. But we can interrupt. We see, ah, oh, what's, what's behind this? What's the cause of this? It could be lack of mindfulness of the beginning of that intrusive train of thought. And before we know it, we're compelled by it, driven by it, and it goes on and on. But as soon as we become mindful of it, the mind is knowing its own habit. So with greater mindfulness and greater attention and a stronger intention to turn the mind to the body or the breath or turning the mind to the stillness. It can be a way of disrupting that unwholesome train of thought. The third insight is the knowledge of mastery. And this is a more clear way of seeing. We see the beginning, we also see the middle, and we see the ending. In the second insight, we already started to have a glimpse into impermanence nature. But with this third insight, our understanding of the nature is strengthened. And we really begin to see how things arise. They subsist for a while, and then they end. They disappear. They vanish. Then they come back, arising and ceasing, arising and ceasing, arising and ceasing. And like the Doshan yesterday, the Master. This arising and vanishing, this arising and vanishing goes on unceasingly. That is true. That was such an important insight. So we see, when we see the cessation, then the reason this is because it teaches us that we can also experience the cessation of our pain, the cessation of our suffering. So these insights are experienced at the five sense doors. But most importantly, they're experienced in the mind, not just through seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, and touching. When you see the breath, for example, you feel the breath arising and ceasing. But what the breath is teaching us is about impermanence. Now we really deeply, going deeply into the Dhamma. When we have insight into suffering, we can penetrate into the emptiness of that. Who is suffering? I can't Who replied to Lotion, uh, who's vanishing, who's arising and vanishing is not Whose is it? Who? To whom does it belong? And that was his awakening. step is very different but in the We're ascending out of our developments and our delusion, we have more clarity about what we're learning. So this insight into a nature is something that we keep on seeing more and more clearly until we see its profundity, its totality. And the same with dukkha and Anatta, the same with suffering and Where is the person? Who is it? That owns all. No one. But in these primary and very poignant, very essential stages, we, we don't know that yet. We don't really know it. We're just getting little glimpses. But they're primordial and they're without these But it can only walk a little bit and it falls down. And so here we're already we're walking, we're, we're walking, we're approaching the path, we're approaching the, the stream, but we can't go anywhere. We're not fully on the path. We still have a lot to learn. But these are the rudiments of our practice. And the, the repetition of them. That's why it's so important for us to practice that. continent. That's how far you can walk. You can walk so far. We can walk all the way to the island. Well, it's not a place, but just using that metaphor. The fourth insight is a more clear understanding of this arising and ceasing, arising and ceasing. Now, everything that arises in consciousness, every phenomenon, comes into our mind door, is seen through this arising and ceasing, which just impermanence becomes so powerful that we see it all arising and ceasing. And it's the knowing of that, and the knowledge of that, is so primary, so in the forefront that it brings us a lot of joy, because we, we have such clarity. We feel a lot of joy and vibrance in our newfound ability to see things as they truly are. We also see what is the path and what is not the path. So that means our mindfulness has become quite powerful. And if defilements, if, if there's distraction, if there's unwholesome thought, or any thought, coming in the mind, we can quickly Divergent, drop it, bend it, easefully, effortless, and come back to the practice, come back into the insight of this arising and ceasing of phenomenon consciousness. And we're, we're less concerned with, less able to be caught up with the physical, shouldn't get all puffed up. And you might also be thinking that you've seen this rising and vanishing, but you haven't. You may have seen a little bit. And of course, because we're so eager to, yeah, yeah, I can do it, we're we're, we're over-eager to achieve. We're over-achievers, and we're over-eager to be told, or to know that we've, we've made it, we've succeeded. But we have to be very careful in this practice and not go that way. Not jump to conclusions. And come back to the modest way of seeing uncertain, it's uncertain. And, And there's no grades, there's no diplomas, there's no stars, there's no stripes. There's no special reward except the practice itself. And the truth. We want to know the truth of where we are. We don't want to someone to say, Oh yeah, you're doing really well and misread us, deceive us, because when we continue the practice we'll just eventually fall off the ladder because we've not truly established the foundation, And that would be a disservice. By the way, in this particular stage, our faith will become very rich, enriched, ennobled. And this is an important quality, to be able to trust, be confident that we can do this. And to see, wow, this is, what a beautiful, what a gift. We feel gratitude. We feel radiant. We feel such reverence and homage to the Buddha, such gratitude. To the dissolution. and In this insight, it's hard for us to see the beginning and the ending. And the pāmaṇa for this jnana is the bhagānyāna. So it's like somebody banged you on the head and, and you feel like you're lost. Suddenly everything is ending and it's dissolving. And it can be very destabilizing. Like you lose your balance, you're not sure what's going on. You go from it's like my life, you know. You up and then you go down. Life goes through rapids. You don't jump into the water because it, it becomes all bubbly and scary. You just stay with it. And the, the same with the next insight, which is called Ayanyana. And the difference is that your mental stream, your of loss. You're aware. Your awareness is powerful. So you're not lost. You're aware of a feeling, of it's all dissolving, it's all dissolving. You're not dissolving with it. Mindfulness and awareness are not dissolving with the object. So we're not identified with the process. We're observing it and learning. And so it is with the fear. The the, the bhānyāna is the knowledge of fear. So we suddenly become aware of these fearful things. So we have such fearful aspects of these phenomena. This is really very important because we have an existential anxiety. Like what am I, what is this? What am I doing? What, what, we can ask this. that there's no self, and we experience that. When you experience it for yourselves, then you'll know it's true there's no self. But you just have to go slowly up the ladder and eventually come to this ourselves. Because we've always believed this is me, this body. Then when you don't even, there's no feeling of the body. There's just a the mental of where studying the mind. And we see that there's no one in there. There's no, there's no self in in the mental stream either. So then we become very panicky and scared. But at least we have the knowledge how fearful it can be to someone. It's like somebody takes you and turns you upside down. And where do you stand? And we have an insight into how this whole experience of Life is just nothing but appearances. Everything arising and vanishing. There's no joy in seeing it, because we feel like we've been fooled. And that's quite frightening, like, now we're beginning to see things exactly as they are. Even in the Udaya of we were seeing things exactly as they are, but we didn't know the extent of it, because There's such a freedom in being able to see that. So at first we get the joy of that freedom. Now we see the consequences of it. Like, okay, what do I do with this knowledge? And so it gets deeper and deeper. And we we realize that we're not in control of anything. Not, Not our life, not our bodies, not even the mind. It's just spewing out this phenomenon that are arising and ceasing. So we no longer believe in them and take refuge in them. That's very important. But when we think about our life, it, it feels we can even get very sad in this. So we see the disadvantages of the world that is always trying to gratify us at the five sense doors of the mind. And we have a stronger and stronger experience of the Anicca, the Dukkha, and the Anatta, these three characteristics, which now everything is, in, is kind of tattooed with that. Every single experience in the world becomes impermanent, unsatisfactory, and empty of any soul. So, you might start to question, well, why am I doing the job that i And why am I studying for this PhD? And why do I go to parties? Why do I watch movies? really, our question about how we're living our life begin to arise, we start to see with the world, this this disenchantment, weariness, a sense of, I have to make choices, a sense of change, this is a big change, just like everything is changing, our heart is being opened to a very profound truth, and we want to align ourselves with that. So we feel a real weariness towards worldly things. And this this is actually an important point from which If we get to this point, we should not despair. Because it is from this kind of weariness of the world that our energy can rise more quickly and more freely towards Nibbana. Because we're really renouncing the world. And now we start to be uncertain about our ability. This is Mucci to Kanyatanya. It's so overwhelming. This new knowledge is so shattering that we we go through a little dip. Some people get scared. They actually feel like they can't practice anymore. It's too frightening because we've spent how many years committed to a certain way of being and suddenly it's turned on its head and we have all this insight into how things really are. And we're not sure how to put it all back together. So let me shut the door because it's like you've opened a Pandora's box. It's too frightening, so you just shut it. But the difference is this is a treasure box. This is a place of finding safety. It's, it feels dangerous, but it isn't. And then it's important to have a guide or a spiritual friend who's been there and done that and knows and who can say, just. Just keep going. Go sit by the river, by the lake, and watch the birds. Don't give up. Because you're actually getting closer and closer to very important insight. It's called patisalkan nyanan. And this is a deep, deep longing for liberation. And we know, we see that we're enchained, we're we're sleeves to worldly aims and values and to our desire mind. We are slaves to it. We've, We've signed on the diamond line. We've signed our life away to some work or a kind of profession. But what we're really longing for is Nibbana knowledge. So we keep practicing. We see more and more into the light of the mind. We're ascending more and more deeply, going deeply into the dhamma, and then suddenly the mind opens up into this oceanic vista, some kind of pink And this insight—it's the equanimity with all activity of the mind, absolute equanimity. The mind is seeing landscape after landscape after landscape off into infinity, it's endless, it never stops, but it doesn't trouble us. We're just so aware, our awareness is expansive, boundless awareness, very sharp, clear, a deep clarity, deeply present, and very stable awareness. Not body awareness, just knowing the mind element Knowing the mind, knowing the mind, knowing the mind. And the mind keeps having these, instead of memories or particular objects appearing, they're just those screensavers that give these pleasant lights coming and going, And they're supposed to save the screen. But this is the mental screen. And if we keep, it's true, Keep watching these equanimous waves in the mind. They're just waves which take no particular shape because we're weary of the world and we've left all those shapes behind. So there's no particular activity except the purity of the mind. That's what we begin to see. We see more and more into the light of the mind, the purity of it, and it feels so peaceful. It's very, very peaceful very tranquil, very calm, and very even. And that will develop, and develop, and develop. And it will develop for each person in a different way. And this is a kind of insight that leads to the culmination of our insights. So if any of these insights have been experienced by you, don't make an assumption. It's nice to know if you climb up the ladder, you you want to know that you're on it, right? Otherwise, you have to go right back to the bottom and start again. And in some cases, we do have to do that. But just to know the the lay of the land that we built, and that this is possible. unfolding. There's nothing unnatural about this. This is nature. This is the natural cleansing of the mental element of my mind. The cleansing of it, purifying it. To such a degree that we we can sit for a